to another episode of Cross Street Coaching. We are moving onward with The Reluctant Entrepreneur. Our podcast is normally about leadership, personal and professional development, all from a coach's point of view. But this series, this season, we have been focusing on The Reluctant Entrepreneur, which is my co-host Diana Ideas's brand or flavor of entrepreneurship that we've been talking about. Hi, Diana. Hi, thanks for having me. And on this episode, we're going to be talking about product, what you actually output from your entrepreneurial endeavor. Yes. What does that even mean? Yeah. So I I think in order to talk about product, that it helps to talk a little bit about passion, uh, passion and innovation. And that often, if not always, you know, depending on the entrepreneur segues into what your product actually is. But when you think about product or service, because we're not talking about the reluctant franchiser, we're talking about the entrepreneur is usually creating a product either that doesn't exist in the market or it's their own version of that product or their kind of service delivery of that product. So whether it's an intangible thing like coaching uh, or if it's something more tangible and is being actually produced. But I think before we get into product, people should look at you know, what's their passion or what's a problem that you're trying to solve. So if we look at why Hawthorne Union exists, uh, continuing education for coaches, unfortunately, is not particularly invigorating <laughs> or innovative or hasn't been. You know, it'd be hopefully by the time someone's listening to this podcast, like that's changed and, and the bar has been raised on all of that. So the creation of Hawthorne Union as, as a business, other than for me to have um, a way to see private clients for tax and still have it be all kind of above board for tax purposes, uh, was to create those classes, which is why, you know, Jason, <laughs> Jason is here, thankfully. Um, at the same time, when people are creating their product, usually the passion or the thing that they're really good at, or in the case of Hawthorne Union, identifying a need, hey, this should exist in the market and it doesn't. Um, so, you know, we can, there's a lot that we can cover with product, but I think looking at the person first, and we do that in coaching is, you know, coach the person, not the topic. So we look at the person and it's, what are you passionate about? What problem are you trying to solve? I don't think that those are mandatory. Um, but when you think about the level of risk that someone has to take on as an entrepreneur, and potentially the level of hours and investment that they have to spend to try to make the business work, that it often helps to have uh, the passion or the focus on the innovation. There certainly has to be something in the gas tank to keep you going. And when we talk about Hawthorne Union's kind of origin stories after it going from your side hustle to actually being a, a business entity, we talked either in the episode or the episode before that our whole first entry into the marketplace was from coach continual education, which was very subpar. It was very dry. It wasn't very exciting. From from my vantage point as a brand new coach, I didn't find it very practical or something that I could use right away, especially in terms of ethics, right? It's like very, very generic things like you find the wallet and there's money in it, but you give the wallet back, but you keep the money. Is that ethical? It's not against the law. Like that kind of stuff that was so far removed from actual coaching work that I, I found it completely ridiculous. And it was very dry. And of course, it checked the box for credit. So we entered the marketplace saying like, let's create classes that people will want to take that were relevant for their business that they could use right away. And we'll charge a premium for it because 
it's not just checking a box. It's an experience and they're getting value. They're actually getting education from continual coach education. And what's interesting is that that's still, I still think that's a passion point for me personally, which is very an experience that learning is an actual experience, whether it's part of a book club or listening to podcasts and then getting together and talking about it. I mean, however you do that, that's still a passion for me, even though that business product is out there, but it it wasn't this like rocket ship to sales, but it was how we started. And it's what led us to this point in Hawthorne Union's crossroads, cross streets, cross streets. (laughs) (laughs) And it's an interesting point too, because the thing is, is that that was the that was the origin story, right? The superhero origin story. Mm-hmm. And those still are products offered, but those are not our most popular products. So mm-hmm. from a revenue perspective, the majority of Hawthorne Union's revenue is from coaching individuals and coaching in businesses. Um, sometimes then we go into kind of assessments offered and things like the predictive index. So the lion's share of the business that Hawthorne Union does while related to coaching and sometimes those classes spin off to mentoring and things like that, or helping coaches achieve their ICF credential. The that's actually not our necessarily that is the original product, but not the main product necessarily. And it's not the product that produces the most revenue. So I think I think what's interesting and kind of being revealed here is the problem you're trying to solve or the product that initially gets you started. I think that there's some people like if you think about in and out, right? They have their original menu, they have their secret menu, but they kept it simple. And they were like, Hey, like we this is what we do. This is what we offer. Um, or, you know, I think, I think a lot of restaurants might do this. Like this is, you know, this is our menu offering as opposed to trying to be all things to all people. But I think one of the things in looking at product is, you know, Hey, what are you passionate about? What problem are you solving? What experience do you have and what expertise or credibility do you have in providing that product? But then it also branches into and what diversity of products might you offer based on what the market is asking for? or based on what's actually paying. Because, you know, I'll get asked about trainings and leadership development trainings. I don't have a problem creating leadership development trainings for existing clients. Um, At the same time, I usually encourage encourage my clients to outsource and, and recommend that they either outsource the training or work with me from group coaching instead. So I can stay in my coaching lane, as opposed to pivoting over to the leadership development lane, which is something that you know, we're both experienced at, but I just don't enjoy as much. So I think I think that's another kind of avenue to go is, you know, what's your product, but then also what are you maybe open to selling if the market requests it? So there's two kind of lanes that I'm seeing here, which is one, the passion, right? Which where we get into kind of debunking that myth that we've talked about before, which is do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life, which we already know we've already talked about is absolutely not true. In fact, if it's something you love, you'll probably work harder than you ever have, regardless if it brings in a dime or not. All those classes and leadership development things we did took up many, many hours of front loading and it wasn't our most popular product, but it was absolutely in my wheelhouse and it's still a problem I, I still think needs to be solved. Maybe it's just not, it, it won't be what is paying all the bills. And then the second kind of thread, which is kind of staying what's in marketability. And in the in the coaching world, I find this really interesting because a lot of targeted social media ads is about the marketability and sales of coaching services. 
because it's so easy to get started, but it actually talks nothing about the substance, Mm -hmm. what you're actually providing. And I think that sort of hollowness of kind of this marketing cycle and getting to a quick return on investment, making a quick buck, right? Because anyone can just say, I'm a coach, I'm a nutrition coach, I'm a this coach, I'm a that coach. And then just start selling a product that doesn't actually talk to like what you're providing. The And you said two things, which is one, solving a problem people didn't know they had or solving a problem most people didn't know could be solved. So where do we go from here? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think for people, I think for people that maybe are listening to this and not sure where to go, it's maybe worth talking about what you even can sell first and the the products as well. Um, you know, so I think passion is important. You know, it has to be something that you care about. Because if you look at, you know, Zig Ziglar, like sales is a transfer of enthusiasm. If you're not enthusiastic or passionate about your product, it's going to be a lot harder for you to sell it, even if it's a great product. Also, you can make the best product in the world and it doesn't mean that people will buy it, <laughs> right? Like, you know, as far as our classes, we may have your restaurant may have great food, but if people don't know that it's a restaurant or don't know it's ours, they're not necessarily going to show. So I think one of the things to think about is some of what we talked about in this, in this podcast are steps people can take if they're interested. So if someone is not sure if the entrepreneur life is right for them, and they don't necessarily have the money to go franchise and kind of open their own restaurant or, you know, Mary Maids or kind of franchise store. Um, there are, there are things like people talk a lot about, um, people talk a lot of smack about like multi-level marketing, but at the same time, I think it allows people to on their own use products that they love and they're passionate about and potentially sell to others. So I do think that there are some intermediary steps before you create your own products, either a tangible product or an intangible product. I think another thing that's important to look at is what what different varying kind of price points can you allow your customers to get familiar with you? So, you know, are you posting content? Are you speaking for free? Do you have something like, you know, the book that Jason and I put together, Listen, is a $25 taste before someone takes a class that's, you know, $400 and up. Um, or signs up for mentoring or something like that. So, you know, looking at different kind of price points to engage your audience. And then, you know, I think one of the things that people need to think about is what are your tangible products? And then what are your intangible products? So for example, someone can buy an assessment from Hawthorne Union, that's a tangible product, versus the intangible products that are harder to explain like coaching. And especially because coaching is the results are so customized. And it also really depends on how much the person leans into those results and makes them happen. It can be a difficult thing for people to sell because it's intangible. But at the same time, you don't have to have the same kind of sales taxes and factories and things like that, that those who have a tangible product does. Can you imagine trying to sell a product without passion? Be like, I make this, I make this pottery. I make these ceramic goods. And like, oh, how is it? And you're like, they're okay, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's I, not... I don't know how much sales you're going to make. <laughs> well, you know, I think though, I think there's people who, you know, if you think about vendors um, at a concert, or, you know, if, if it's, you know, farmer's market, obviously you have a high level of passion and a commitment because that's a lifestyle. Um, but I, th- I think of people like manning a booth, right? Like if it's, there's, there's some people where, you know, the reality of it is, and is, is sometimes it's just a means to an end. 
I guess if it's your means to an end, then I don't recommend that you hop into the entrepreneur life on that because or if you if you do hire someone who is passionate about it, because especially starting out in a new business, um, a lot of money, a lot of businesses, new businesses don't make any money in the beginning, a lot of new businesses close. And so if you don't have the passion related to like, hey, this is a service people need or something that's really important to me, I just think it's it's going to be harder to sustain. It's like, oh, let me work on nights and weekends on this thing that's not making me any money and I don't really care about. Yeah, that's a hard sell. I mean, there are certainly entrepreneurs out there that buy businesses that they have no emotional connection to and run them, but that's not the reluctant entrepreneur. Although I do think maybe there's a missed opportunity for, you know, clothing apparel that says the world's okayest coach. Very kind of medium, <laughs> very, very downplayed, lacking passion in your you uh, want chosen results? field. Do it yourself. You want Hashtag results? Coaching. We'll give it a shot, I guess. <laughs> um, so, but then you talked about this other thing, which is the idea that kind of having this golden goose idea, knowing what your tangible and intangible products are. And that reminds me a lot of when you see big business or big companies that have huge, massive success they're traditionally not the first person in that market. Mm. And a lot of the common examples are like the Apple iPod. Well, the iPod wasn't the first MP3 player. There was a bunch of other ones in the marketplace. But for some reason, the iPod hit differently to, to, you know, to other people. The same thing, like, you know, there was always Craigslist ads to share space. But for some reason, Airbnb came to fruition, solving a very concrete problem. But they weren't the first person to ever consider letting someone crash on your couch, charging a small fee for it. You know, there's like hostels and things like that as well. So talk to me a little bit about that idea of uh, the reluctant entrepreneur identifying what their tangible and intangible goods are. That is something that they can bring to market. Yeah. So I'll say for myself as a reluctant entrepreneur, it was, I used to think that I was normal. (laughs) And I was like, Oh, other people see what I see. And I'm normal. And, and I've realized that maybe that's not necessarily the case. I think with that, we all have a interesting view. And sometimes, you know, whether it's looking at the lens of the Enneagram, whether there's like eight ways to see things or with predictive index or 17 ways to see things. Um, So for me, it was just like, you know, if continuing edu I mean, one of the taglines we have for continuing education is don't fall asleep in classes you're taking because you have to, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like it should be more interesting than that. So from my perspective, it was a how do we solve this? We can do better than this. Like we're coaches, we should do better than this. Um, this also happened in the corporate world. I identified an issue with our crisis support. But it wasn't actually my job to do crisis support. And I, you know, identified it, we made some changes, but then it came up again and it, it needed someone to own it. So I, I think the thing is, is from part of how product relates to the reluctant entrepreneur is that at least for myself, I saw a need and I didn't see someone else stepping up to meet that need. Um, because to be perfectly honest, if I did, I'd be like, okay, great. <laughs> You've got it. I don't need good to do it. That. Yeah. Good luck with that. Have a good time. Um, the same kind of thing with coaching, you know, sometimes, especially if you're vying for the larger companies or the bigger ticket revenue engagements, you have to stand in line with the other coaches and be like, pick me. And this is all the reasons that you pick me. And I don't, I don't like that. I'm just like, ah, like, <laughs> that's cool. Like, if you don't want to pick me, that's fine. But also it's, it's part of the, 
it's part of the game. Like you have to put yourself out there. People have to know what they're signing up for. They have to, you know, especially in this, in this era of podcasts and social media and things like that, you know, people, people want to know the artisans and the people that they're buying from. Like that's, that's part of the experience. So from a reluctant standpoint, what I was finding is that it wasn't existing in my way. And I've, I've thankfully, I've thankfully found some exceptions to that. I'm happy to say that since Hawthorne Union began, and as I continue to take coach ed- education, I found some acceptance, uh, sorry, exceptions to that rule. And I'm very excited about that, but it's still, it's still not the norm. So for me, some of the reluctance was like, don't other people see this? Why isn't this fixed yet? And that's some of the, honestly, that's some of the entrepreneurial spirit. I just had more reluctance about like, why can't someone else do this? For some of our listeners that aren't in the coaching space, they may see, well, you're a coaching firm. There's like a bajillion coaches out there. Yeah. And there's a bajillion leadership coaches, you know, consultant firms and business services out there. How, you know, how did you even enter? And I think that's for what the people, a lot of people that I work with, that's where the reluctance comes from is because mm-hmm. they feel like they're offering that's almost a dime a dozen. But when you talk about the specific brand and flavor of coaching, it's almost as if no one has ever done it before. Well, it's, it's not, I think we all, we all do our distinct, we have a distinct style and brand. So in training coaches, I say like your coaching should sound like you. Your leadership should look like you. You know, one of my favorite articles about leadership is on um it's called Discovering Your Authenticity. It's an oldie but a goodie from HBR. And essentially they did a Gallup study about what are the traits of leadership, of successful leadership, and it revealed that actually it was about authenticity. It's about what what does that particular leader kind of hold dear? What are they best at? So you know, obviously there's skills that we need to develop as leaders. There's things that we need to have a basic, basic kind of proficiency, if not fluency in. Um, but at the same time, when you look at kind of the value of diversity, one of the menu, many values of diversity, equity, and inclusion, it's what is that distinct thing or distinct style that someone brings to the marketplace? So it doesn't mean that, you know, someone can come and get coaching, you can get coaching from anyone. I mean, it's a, it's a personal choice. It's a personal fit. Um, I think a lot of people's reluctance about entrepreneurship might be like, well, this is not the best in all the land, but people do things for different reasons. So I order so much stuff on Amazon. (laughs) I don't have to go to the store because you're going to deliver it to my house. And then also there, you know, I ordered a couple of things over the Christmas holiday from because of course I want to support local and and small businesses but the returns policy <laughs> was a beast in comparison to Amazon. So you know Amazon has products that other people have but their convenience like the convenience of it deliver it to my door and yes they have other competitors or you take like Chewy. So Chewy is online pet delivery. So when my dog passed away they sent me same day flowers. They sent me a card. I had a bag of dog food that I was like, I don't even know how I'm supposed to return this to you. And they were like, no, give it to a shelter. So this is my plug for Chewy. Chewy's customer service mm-hmm. for pet owners is amazing. So you have, there are, that's an intangible, right? So Zappos, Amazon, Chewy, they all have actual products, but those are products that you could get somewhere else. But because of the convenience, because of the customer service, or because, you know, for example, 
Um, you know, I have friends that own small businesses and they're in my network and I want to buy local and support their businesses. So could someone else do our website? Could someone else clean my house? Yes. <laughs> right? But at the same time, I'm buying local and supporting their business, their businesses. And, you know, especially like women business owners um, and small business, I'm putting that money back in my community. So I think with product, there is some, hey, how do you do this differently than other people? How are you better than other people at this for a branding perspective? I think you need that for branding and marketing. But the product doesn't have to be, oh, I'm the only coach ever. Or this is the only place you can buy that book or the only place you can order mac and cheese. But you know, I love macaroni and cheese and I eat it all over the world. (laughs) (laughs) People make it differently. And I have my favorites. Um, but sometimes that's just what I'm craving and, and I'll, you know, I'll get that in different places. Sometimes I just go back to craft, which I know is <laughs> some people will find disgusting, but that's, that, that's the mac and cheese I grew up on. So it has that nostalgic factor. So I do think knowing, Hey, who am I authentically? How does that come out in my product? What is my individual spin? I think all of those things are important. But if someone feels like, Oh, well, I can't be an entrepreneur because other people have done this. Um, I think you need to do your market research and know how much your competitors are are charging, what their value proposition is, how is that going to be different from the value that you provide? But it doesn't mean, you know, you can go buy the same products at Walgreens, CVS, Rite Aid, Walmart, Costco, but we go different places. One of the interesting things that comes up as you talk about that is that you personally could be a different target market than the service you provide. The way that I actually get coaching and what I need is probably different from the way that I coach other people. I'm very informal, very kind of lighthearted off the cuff. But for my personal needs, I actually need a lot of details. I need a lot of structure. I have... I'm I'm a very... I really try to work on, on being a heavy bullet journal. But when I coach other people, I don't, I don't really like advocate that. And that's one of the things that I've learned after doing professional services and coaching for so long is that what I need as an individual is different than the services I provide. And it really reminds me of something, Diana, that you've said to me um, before, which is when we provide a service, it's like at the clothing store and you go and you see a shirt or a suit or a dress and you go, Ooh, I would never wear that. Yeah. It may not be your piece of clothing. It may not be your color, but that's someone else's someone else's style. That's someone else's fashion. And the same thing for what you provide as a reluctant entrepreneur, which is the flavor or the type of service, whether a tangible or intangible good, may not be for everybody. And it may not even be for you, but it's there's someone out there that it could be for. Yeah. And so that, you know, that does come back to confidence. And also, you know, I think it's important. I think it's important to not take some of this personally. So I think, you know, business and a product can feel like your baby and you're putting it out there in the world and, and your baby's ugly, <laughs> right? Or people say your baby's ugly or they don't buy it. Or, you know, I have a lot of people in my life who are like, oh, you wrote a book? I'll buy your book. But they don't. Right? They don't get around to it. It's not on Amazon yet. Um, you know, and, and I don't, but that's not personal. It's like the intention is there to support. So I, I think that, you know, some of, we've talked about this as a potential even topic for its own episode, but, you know, how thin is your skin? Like how, 
how confident are you able to be to also be able to stand by your product and know that it's not going to be for everyone. So well, it's not cool, right? It's not cool to, um, to take everything to heart and to really pour yourself into a life's work. It's cool to be a badass B, right? Nothing phases me and I don't care yeah. about nothing. Yeah, but that's not real. <laughs> that's not real. That's, that's not, not real. real. And also, you know, if you're pouring your, you know, if you if you are passionate about it or you are trying to solve a problem that other people don't solve, it's it's understandable to be discouraged and be like, why aren't people getting this? I think some of what some of what can help from a product definition space is if you also sometimes think about what you're not offering. So, for example, one of the coaching engagements that I had, they really just wanted me to tell them what to do. Um, they just really wanted not just management consulting, but almost for me to be their CEO and make their decisions for them. And after pursuing the ICF credential path and, and the focus on clients being resourceful and whole, that's not really a match. Like I have opinions. I'm happy to share those opinions, but so much of what I do is partnering with clients to co-create solutions and support them to creating their own solutions. So there's a lot of management consulting firms out there that will happily tell you what to do. <laughs> there's a lot of people who love giving advice. We'll happily tell you what to do. It's just not a match for me for clients looking for that specific thing. It's the same kind of thing with leadership development. So I'll say for myself, this has been, I think for some people, the reluctance from an entrepreneur side, maybe, well, I have to figure out exactly what I'm going to cover and what I'm, what I'm going to offer and what I'm not going to offer. For me, it was more organic. You know, someone apparently there are companies that create. ICF approved classes. Like that's what they do. They work with people to create their content and get it ICF approved. And, you know, you and I created a course so people can walk through that with us. Um, but I've had people who want me to do that for them. And I was like, well, I'll try it, but it's not really a fit. It's not a product that, um, that I kind of advertise for or necessarily offer. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is that I have some products and services that I'll offer because existing clients will ask for them just because we're already in engagement. And sometimes those will be things that will be close enough to my scope that I'll offer in as well. It's almost like if if you have a personal chef or someone who comes in and cooks a meal for you, if they're willing to also like do awesome. the dishes. Yeah, that would be awesome. Right? But if they're willing to also do the dishes. So, you know, I think that there are things that are can be add-on services. For me... My reluctance was very much to get started. But once I was in it, then if people had other requests for products that kind of developed organically, I was able to, you know, I was open to giving some of those things a try because some of the things you don't know if you want to do it or not, unless you try it. And so there are some things that as a new entrepreneur, I was like, well, you know, I can offer that. I can do that. Um, and then it, it's at this point, a couple of years later, if someone is like, hey, do you do this? Um, my answer has changed. It's like, no, I recommend these people for that, but these are the services if you'd like to work with us instead. So I'm hearing knowing the boundaries of what you do and what you don't mm -hmm. do instead of just saying yes to everything. Well, I think that's a, that's a, I like that synopsis or summary. Um, I think at the beginning, you don't necessarily know what the boundaries are. You know, it's kind of like as you, as you get into this and work life balance, like that's going to be a thing. Um, what products do you offer or not? That's going to be a thing. So I, I think that it's for those starting on the entrepreneur path, there needs to be an exploratory time. And then there does have to be a point where and you decide what that point is. 
where it feels like, hey, this is what I'm doing or not. Because there has to be going back to passion. Passion isn't just like, oh, well, I'm passionate about these products and let me check the passion box and then we're done. <laughs> you have to get it in order to sustain or want to sustain the business. It still has to be something that that means something to you. There's a lot of when it comes to product, there's a lot of opportunities to do things like drop shipping, right? Set up a Shopify, do drop shipping where it's a very kind of just transactional. It's all about money. Whatever product is out on Alibaba, you can resell it and they will drop ship it from China here. And there's also a lot of examples of products, very great product ideas coming to the market and then uh, going to China to be manufactured and then also being marketed with knockoff copies and then getting nickel and dime to death. Or what's really common, what you heard about a lot was you know, someone making a really high quality tripod and then Amazon taking all their analytics and then coming out with Amazon's choice, which is you know, 3 or $4 lower, so which absorbs all the sales. One of the cautionary tales that it really reminds me of is the TRX, those health straps. You've seen those before? Mm-hmm, I have so one. That's, so that, that was created by a Navy SEAL trying to figure out how to get a really good workout in overseas. And they ended up using their jujitsu belt and tied it to the door. And that's how they came up with TRX. Well, they had all these straps made. And lo and behold, after they entered the market, 10,000 other people said like, we could sell a bunch of you know, thick straps together. But they actually spent over a million dollars in legal fees to keep their patent and mm-hmm. fight off copyright internationally. But not everyone has the ability to do that. So there's so many stories about people with a great idea, a great product, and it just getting evaporated as they go to market. What would you say for the reluctant entrepreneur that doesn't even that is like, well, I don't, you know, I have a great idea, but I or maybe they don't even know what their great idea is as far as a product, but they have some sort of vision that they want to bring forward. How does someone even get started when those situations are out there? I would start small, you know, if it's if it's something that people want, start small and know that if ultimately your product is successful, you either already have competitors or you will have competitors. <laughs> and when you talk about essential services, you know, there are, there's a point where you move from a spreadsheet to QuickBooks to having a CPA and I think that that's a really important point. Um, there's also a point where you move from kind of rocket lawyer to having a lawyer <laughs> and protecting <laughs> your stuff. Because actually, um, Hawthorne Union's initial classes, which were going to be on the Enneagram and True Colors, um, don't actually exist because the True Colors and Enneagram folks that I was working with were so locked up in legal battles based on their content um, that it wasn't something where... Um, it wasn't something where I could work with them and have all of the appropriate permissions because they were fighting in court about their product, even as industry leaders and creators, and some in some cases, creators of these products. So I think I think some of it is, you know, we talk about coaching begin with the end in mind, you will have competition if you don't already. So knowing what distinguishes you from others, and knowing scale, like if you're fine to just be local, and hey, I want local business, um, or I want to be a small business owner. You know, it doesn't have to be. Oh, I want to be the kind of international go-to. You know, I want to be the name. I want to be the Kleenex. <laughs> I want to be the Band-Aid. I want to be the Amazon, the kind of name brand. I think if people have aspirations for that, like that's when you need a kind of legal team. Uh, you know, you may need more legality and, and insurance involved. 
Um, but I do think that it is important. That's an important part of a business structure kind of as you grow. Um, but I wouldn't let, I wouldn't let that stop you. And what about the opposite? If they have a great idea and they're like, this is amazing. How do I sell this? How do I get this to market? They have this beautiful idea and they have no idea how to even get it off the ground. Yeah. I mean, it depends on what it is. Right. And so I, so I think a lot of this has to be self-assessment. What skills do you have? What ideas do you have? Know thyself and then also know who in your network are, you know, are you going to work with a score mentor, which is no cost? Are you, do you know that, you know, it's like one of my clients knows, Hey, I want to be a CTO, but I don't want to be a CEO, you know? So, so looking at like, who's going to balance out your team, um, you know, from a scaling perspective, you know, is it, are you interested in being big business or name brand recognition, or is it just a matter of paying your bills? So I, I think with the self-assessment and then looking at what resources are available, be it books, podcasts, um, I really think talking to other people and professional services, um, a lot of times people will do free consultations and things like that are important. Um, but it doesn't, if you're resonate with a reluctant entrepreneur, there can be a reluctance to get started. But, you know, we, mm-hmm. Hawthorne Union is now a publishing company. I, in order to print, they were like, you need a seller certificate. <laughs> so I went on Google and I was like, what's a seller certificate? And then, once we created the book, well, you have to pay sales tax because it's a tangible product. And so that you so then I started talking to people in my network and had a conversation with my CPA. And thankfully, the their customer service was really helpful because we've never sold a product before that had taxes. I was like, I don't even know how to do this. So I think someone else would have done a lot of research up front, but they potentially would have found those as barriers where, you know, this is where the risk comes in. It's like, well, if I need a seller certificate, hey, you can actually get one on Google. <laughs> and, you know, I did freak out about sales tax. I don't know how to do this. And the very nice customer service people sent me all the information. I now know that my sales tax is due in July. So some of it is confidence and risk. And then also, like, if you're really passionate about it, then take steps towards it. And as you collect that information, see if that's something that you want to keep moving forward with. Yeah, there's some great kind of magic happening between that balancing act of one, knowing what you want in the very beginning. We were pretty clear that as coaches, we wanted to support other people's businesses. We didn't want to create their classes for them, but we wanted to have the supportive role. But then through the kind of evolution of starting with building our own classes and then them not being the most popular product, we did kind of evolve into publishing because it was something that came as a result from getting started. So that kind of tightrope balance between discovery and innovation, but also knowing yourself to know what you're willing to do and what you're not willing to do is what kind of led us to the the publishing aspect, even though I don't think that was something that you had brought up or I had brought up when we first were starting to build the continual education classes. No, it and wasn't that's, on the list. that's kind of where a little bit of the magic is and a little bit of the passion is needed in order to go because it, it was a natural fit, even though it wasn't, it wasn't first bill. It wasn't something we considered. Yeah. So. And, you know, I did have someone reach out to me and said, I'm interested in talking about your publishing services. And, you know, I said, oh, that's so kind. We're not currently we're not currently advertising that, you know, we're not offering that as an external product, happy to have a conversation with you. So I think also, 
some of what comes up in product and you think about what you're saying yes to and what you want to share out there with the world. Some of it also has to be like you referenced the boundary and what you're saying no to. You can't offer all things to all people and do it well. I mean, Amazon's doing a pretty good job of it, but, but you know, mm -hmm. you can't, you, you're going to have to pick and believe in yourself enough to say, Hey, is this, is this worth the investment of my time and money? Do I have the risk tolerance for this? Do I have the confidence for this? Is it worth a try? I guess we will find out. We'll see. From our reluctant entrepreneurs. All right, Diana, anything else before we wrap up today's episode? Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. We will be back in two weeks, of course, to continue on this journey. Diana, where can people find out more about you? Uh, so LinkedIn, HawthorneUnion.com. Uh, check us out. I am also available on LinkedIn and HawthorneUnion.com. Thanks everyone for tuning in. And until next time.